the gladiator. This is the gladiator back at you. We're going to continue on with retired special agent Gerald Chapman as he go through his early career as a young agent doing undercover work and some of the um, incidents that he ran into. And also as he explained uh, the last episode about the creation of NABNA and the difference between NABNA and the Henry Seeger lawsuit. So we're just going to jump right back into there and continue on with this episode. Um, retired Special Agent Gerald Chapman. Even when you think you're right, you're just not right. Or, you know, I kind of wonder. Uh, obviously, it, it put the case in a different position than it was before, you know. So now you got all of these things that are domino effect here. Um, and, and the other reason, one other reason why you had NABNA there, you know, if, if you, if you, a police, even being a police officer, Back in those days, it's not very popular for a black person to be in law enforcement in the first place. So you aren't going out and talking to a whole lot of people, telling them, hey, you're an undercover man, you're this and you're that and all that kind of stuff. Hey, a lot of your family people, you're not telling that kind of stuff. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. So, so who do you really associate with and all that kind of stuff? You had to have some, you had to establish some other communication with some people who knew who you were and what you were doing and how you're doing and that's yeah. what NAPNA was supposed to try to right. Set, right. put together a platform so we can have somebody to talk to somebody because right. even when you mentioned because I'm sure back early in the days most people didn't know what DEA was they, no. you know that's, that's they thought it was food and drug administration so. well, well hey you know what uh, you're right and back in those days, you couldn't even have a business card. They couldn't, you know, we, we could not carry a business. You had to have permission to even carry uh, to, to carry a business card. You couldn't, you couldn't carry a business card. You didn't want. Hey, they really didn't want you testifying too much on court because you know back those courts were wide open and anybody coming in and see you. And, hey, and that's another thing that caused people to get moved a lot. They think your cover was gone. You ain't no more good here. You got to go someplace else. That's why you need to be promoted to a supervisor now. But you. If you're not competing and you haven't been trained and you haven't had these opportunities, how can you go to that next level? Right? Right, right, right. So right. Those, so all of this is a thing to try to help build your career. Um, and it also, when you talk to other people about experiences, that helps you in your decision making for other things. Uh, how to continue that progress. Right. I've had yeah. people... Uh, uh, and, and then, and then, I've had to stand up for people who couldn't stand up for themselves because yeah. I know I've been in that position. And if you're there, whether he was black, white, Chinese, to make it any different, because hey, look, is he the undercover agent or is he the case agent? You the case agent, you run the case. But if he's the undercover agent, let him tell you what he's coming with and see how that's going to fit into the scheme. Yeah, I made that a point. Because yeah. I've been there and I knew it was hard for somebody else to do that because I've been there. Then don't sit there. And I've been out on cases even when I was a resident agent in charge of the office. 
man, those guys that I worked that I, that office that I worked with, and back in those days when I first came on the job, we didn't have any females in our office. I think we only had one or two on the job, and that was like um, Marilyn Johns, and she was out in California, or how did she meet up in Seattle or someplace like that. But we didn't have any uh, back in those days. Um, but um, you, 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 this is why it's so important for people, and I tell you, people will respect you based on what they know about you. If they know you've done this before, then they are more willing to listen and follow as to somebody who they know haven't done, didn't it? You know? Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now that, that makes sense though. That makes sense, Gerald. So, and Seager is still going on. Uh, it's still going on today. No conclusion to the case. We hopefully, hopefully get concluded. Um, I guess as soon as possible. But um, although DEA lost the class action suit, uh, it's still going on. That's what I kind of wanted to make sure that we talk about. But we are kind of talking about uh, some real good topics. And but what I kind of like to do now is uh, we want to go ahead on and and try to wrap it up. Uh, but what what you you left Miami? Where did you go? Where did you go from there? And and what other office did you go? And what did you do? What was your assignments? Uh, and how hard was it for you to get promoted? That that's re that's really what I want to know. Um. Okay. Well. I've served um, um, in Atlanta, uh, Miami, back to Atlanta, in the Boston Field Division, uh, New York, the Bahamas. I uh, was one of the first agents to initiate Operation Bat there with uh, Leslie Thompson back in those days. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I, I uh, Glenn Brown was the country attaché down there at the time. Marcy uh, Gamma mm -hmm. was the assistant country attaché. And I went down with Les Thompson out of Miami when they had the, uh, in fact, that was around, you, hadn't, you probably had just come on the job, like you say, in 91, but that was 91, 92 when they had the vice presidential task forces. We initiated Operation Bat, uh, Bahamas and Turks and Caicos uh, thing. Uh, I spent about 13 14 months on that operation. Uh, I was more or less the uh, team leader, and uh, we had agents that run, you know, come in and out of that, uh, which was very good. I learned a lot. And, and when you have those, Glenn Brown was a guy who um, he ran the office. He knew what was going on, but and he was the person to go to. But he also depended on people to. To do their job, and he gave you room to do that job, and he helped you do that job. So I, I got a lot of good experience. Um, you may not know that uh, I was the uh, first uh, African American to go to the Paris country office with country attitude. Uh, I did not know that either. <laughs> so you was the so you the head man in charge over there in, in Paris. Yeah, Patty, they Patty, but uh, I didn't know that. But uh, that was uh, all of those things. I'm gonna tell you, I had some uh, some some pretty good uh, experiences. 
Um, but I've had to work and earn those. Now, my first promotion to um, supervisor job, uh, I had some 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 issues and problems with that. Not from the person who uh, John, who was the second of Boston Field Division, the one who picked me to to go to that job. And he and George Fester really supported me in all the things that I did there. And we had a very very good successful. Uh, operation. But um, when I first got promoted and went there, I, and, and you know, I was the only black there in the office there, uh, I brought on uh, Graylon Williams, who, you know, is uh, just passed away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were people in that office who didn't really want to work. They didn't want to follow me. And the word was, the word was, that I had gotten promoted because of the secrecy and I had only been on the job six years. <laughs> now, I had been on the job 15 years before I got that first promotion. That tells you that. Yeah. That's from that's going from a 13 to a 14, right? Yeah. So how difficult was that? I can tell you some experiences I had where I had the I, I got admonished for I try to do I try to sell things. Uh, at each level, I had promotions. I had problems getting promoted from going to a nine to eleven to a twelve. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I had a lot of resistance along the way. And uh, I never will forget this one experience where I was working in an office out up in Columbia, South Carolina. I was in Atlanta at the time. And I, I think I was trying to go from 11 to 12 or from 9 to 12, I'm not sure what it was. But I kept working with, we had a new ASAC that came in and it was just about time for my, you know, promotion. And um, so when he came in, we sat down, we talked, and he said, okay, listen to me for a while. He said, well, and it's really funny because they'll tell you, well, I don't know you, you got to prove yourself. And so you say, you got to start all over again. Your work that you've done before they look at you and evaluate you, it just seems like it doesn't count. And that's the way I took that. Yeah. So I, I kept going back to him and he finally said, uh, well, why don't you uh, go pull out all the cases and bring them to me and let me take a look at them. Well, I did all of that stuff. Even wrote some little notes and synopses uh, time passed by two or three weeks to go back to him. Well, I really haven't sat down to, uh, I'll look at it next week or whatever. And finally, um, I called him up and uh, said, he finally made an appointment with me, went in, and he said, uh, look, I looked at all these cases here. I just decided uh, you're not ready yet. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you come back to me? Well, you know, these are not your cases. I said, they're not my cases. I said, uh, what do you mean? I said, uh, the cases that they I worked on them. I, 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 you see them, you see surveillance reports, you see this. Well, you know, the case agent now is the case, the person who writes the initiation up of the case. You know, you got to be, you got to write it up, get it approved, you being the case agent, and Whatever, whatever happens in that case, if you never do another thing, you become the case agent and everybody else do the work. Right? Now, 
that was an experience I had to learn because every time somebody wanted me to do something, again, I go back to, I wanted to be a team player. I didn't want to do that. So I, I dropped what I was doing. I go, but then when the case go down, I had to learn through experience that, hey, I'm not going to do this unless I can get something out of it. Yeah. Number one, you're going to put me down the cocaine agent. Number two, when the rest come down, I'm going to get a choice of cooperating individuals there. I had to start doing that. Because these are things nobody tell you that you yeah. need to do. And all of the work I had done, all the cases, all the drug seizures, all the arrests and everything, it didn't even matter. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. So, uh, but again, this is a learning experience. So when you talk to other black Asians, you tell them the same thing because this yeah. happened to me. This is how you help people grow. Yeah. Nobody there was telling me that. And that's what I had to do. And so you've done all the undercover of all those cases, and you thought that there's a reason to get promoted because yeah. you had done that the hard part. You had done the damn majority amount of the work in the case. Absolutely. But yet he looks at it and tells you something. Yeah, I, there was. I remember coming on the job, and there was a lady in the office, and you know she loved to. Uh, she knew how to. And she had been there since she was graduation high school she was older then but she was used to people writing uh doing stuff and they come back in the agent come back and tell her what happened she knew how to write the sixes and all that stuff and, and, and that kind of stuff and i remember coming on the job and she uh she was hey what happened tell me what happened i had a no no i can write my own you know so so but anyway to make a long story short I, I got to the point, I said, man, you know, I'm at, I'm at the door. I'm at, I'm at the end of the edge here. I don't know what I need to do. So I turn around and write to the region, to, to Miami, to the ARDs and all my, all those people down there. And at the meantime, I sent a letter with all this stuff, dating, documenting all my conversations, the dates and times. I've been talking to this guy about promotion. And I sent it to headquarters, Aaron Hatchett. Aaron P. Hatchett III was, was uh, the guy up there at the time. Uh, Gaston Booker was up there, and, and uh, Bob Rogers was uh, EEO. Uh, hey, man, I, I, just, I just flooded everybody with stuff I had, right? Right. So while I'm out working, because I, I, I couldn't talk to the ASAC anymore. That was the end. I, you know, my conversation was through with him. He already told me why I wasn't ready, so I had mm -hmm. What I do now, I'm sitting there. If I don't do something else, he's one. So I kept on doing my work. Uh, and so I got a call. I was up in Columbia, California, and I was doing some undercover work. And I get a call, and he asked me, he said, Hey, uh, what you doing on Friday? This is like a Wednesday or something. I said, Well, uh, you know, we're just still working. And kind of, you know, it was up to the, to the rack up here or to the, Group supervisors we were working for. He said, "Well, I tell you what, you need to cut it off, and I want you need to be back in the office here on Friday, uh, Friday morning by ten o'clock." I said, "Oh, okay." And so anyway, so I uh, uh, get up on that Friday morning and uh, finish up my other work up there, and, and I stayed in the hotel. I left my hotel running because I figured I was going back. Mm -hmm. uh, and I get back and on Friday, I had the ARD from Miami up there. Uh, 
I had the AZAC and the SAC sitting in the office. And so I had a meeting with, with all of them. And the ARD at the time, he was banging on the desk and he was talking loud. And, you know, even though we in the SAC office, everything was closed. He was riding the whole office to hear what's going on. And uh, so I finally told him, I said, well, excuse me, sir. I said, I'm not hard of hearing. I said, but I don't, you know, I don't think that uh, the screaming and hollering is going to get us in a place. And this way it's got to go. Then I, I think we need to terminate this conversation. <laughs> and so, so he said, and then he really kind of, he really kind of really calmed down. And he said, uh, well, I, I, I don't know, I'm really excited there. And then he tried to tell me how complimentary I that I, used, I was, and, and he had some other projects that he was asking the SAC, who could he put on them, and he, the SAC was recommending me, and you know, all this kind of stuff, right? So I'm still sitting there, and I'm waiting on And so he was telling me uh, that, uh, he was telling me that, uh, I think, uh, you know, you need to kind of get things sell up here and not involve everybody. That's what he basically what he was telling me. In other words, mm -hmm. I couldn't work it out of there, then don't start involving other people. And I'm saying, okay. So anyway, uh, I was excused from the office. The three of them sat up, you know, in the office there. I went back to my office and he also told me, don't leave and go back to Columbia until, actually at that time he said, hey, I need you to be here till Monday. So I said, okay. Now, I told them that I had a hotel that I didn't check out of because I was thought I was going back up there. They said, don't worry about it. Just keep the room, we'll approve all that stuff, you know. And uh, so after they had a meeting, uh, I went on home and uh, I got back in there. Oh, I made sure that my, my ASAC told me he wanted to see me on Monday morning. And I stayed in the office, worked that day in the office, and then at the end of the day, I, I was I lived in Atlanta anyway, so I went home. And so he, he told me that evening, he said, uh, I need you to see you in the office on Monday, about nine o'clock. Okay, be back. So anyway, Monday morning came, and I went to his office as appointment, and he said, uh, I want you to know, I wasn't basil, I wasn't basil by your fancy footwork. He says, I'm going to write you up for your promotion here, but uh, and I need you to sign it so we can get out of here today. And I'm going to tell you, I, you know, I didn't say anything, but you can imagine how I probably felt. Because now, if he wasn't baffled by my fancy footwork, he must have been baffled by something. And I figured mm -hmm. all I wanted was a promotion. And so I'm not going to get into an argument or get into any kind of more conversation about it. He told me what he was doing. And I just needed to be there to sign it that mm -hmm. morning before I leave to go back to Columbia. But see, those are the kind of, like you asked me about, hey, how hard it is to get promoted? Yeah. Those are the kind of things. That's just one answer. You know what I mean? <laughs> so he promoted you from what to what? That was from the 11 to the 12 or whatever I was trying to get, you know? <laughs> so you would do all that just to get to, just to get a 12. Yeah. Yeah. So... So, I, 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 and I'm just telling you, it, it's just, uh, but I, I did everything I could. And then I get a letter back from headquarters about a couple of weeks later, answering my letter, 
saying that uh, we understand everything is worked out fine. And they kind of put in there too about, you know, it'll be nice to be able to sell these things at the at, at the local and regional level then send it to headquarters. But that time my back up against the wall, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. And mm. I knew two things. I didn't see any holes in my performance at that time. No, you know, you can't punch holes in my target because it's tight. I'm doing my work. I'm you ain't got you know I don't want now for them to find something where I sit there and waiting. What what is it gonna take for him to say, yeah, you're ready now? You know, I, I just didn't want to go through that conversation with that because yeah. it was just and, and, plus you, and plus, by that time, you really had to gain that confidence, you know, that uh, a lot of times you just don't have, man. And like you say, you're trying to be a team player. And plus, uh, when you start doing what you did, certain people label you as militant. They label you, you get that militant name. Exactly. And you're not militant. I mean... You just want that same respect uh, of what your accomplishment in, and just get rewarded for what you do. Exactly. If you're not getting it, you're constantly running and getting a roadblock and brick walls, you know, well, that's well, what you got to do. That's, well, that was the option. Well, Abe, you know, the whole thing is that, you know, I saw my peer, I saw my, you know, my peer, uh, you hold people up, you know, you come in with a class, you see people now continue to, if you're six months behind this time, you're six months behind the next time or the next month because everybody's getting promoted. And then when these jobs come available, you want to apply for them, but you're not eligible. Eligible, everybody, but all your peers are because you are already a year and a half because you haven't been in grade long enough. See, and so it has that it has that domino effect. The other part of that is I had a family just like everybody else. You take money out of my pocket, you're taking money from my out of my table, off my kids, and, and all that other kind of stuff. So I'm being restrained, you know, and not advancing. And so all of those things will just pass, will be passing by. And but these are lessons that I learned, and it's really the lessons of survival. Uh, because you go through this and you figure, man, you get through some of this kind of stuff, you can almost do anything you want to do. And I remember when it was time for me to uh, retire, people saying, hey, well, I, I mean, I wasn't really, I was eligible, but I, I could have stayed on another seven years. And uh, and people say, yeah, man, well, you, I wouldn't do that. And uh, you you don't know what you're getting into. You don't know what you're running out here. Hey, when you have confidence in your ability and you know when people that, you can make your own choices with confidence and yeah. you don't, people don't define you, you define yourself. Right. And perhaps there was, hey, we all know we step out here off a nice job, acting, the social sack up there in New York and all that stuff. And hey, and I'm, there's no doubt I probably could have been a sack someplace, sometime, but, uh, I had a better offer that, regardless of what promotion I got from that point on, it wasn't going to equal to what I was being offered, you know? And yeah. I was eligible. So what, what, what else, why, why should I stay? Right. You know? Yeah. And, and, and the cross over. And yeah. as you probably know, I did wind up with the SES over <laughs> at uh, uh, Homeland Security, you know? Yeah. Uh, because that's where I left. I went to private practice, Florida Power and Light, I think I told you, in a commercial. Mm -hmm. Uh, then I went to E-Trade, and then I went 
came back into the government after 9-11 as a federal security director at the airport and then became the uh, chief of operation for the, the central division that covered, uh, you know, the central states from, from Alabama all the way to uh, uh, Texas and up and down mm -hmm. the line. Yeah. So. Gerald, you, Gerald, you've done a lot, man. You have actually done a lot. You have covered a lot and uh, done a lot. And and there's a lot of firsts, it sounds like. Were there any other firsts uh, besides the parish job, the op-ed, and there any other firsts that you want to share with us? Well, there was a, a <laughs> there were several firsts. Even, even going into, I wasn't the first in the, in, 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 uh, in the Boston Field Division, but I, as, to, as, to, as a rack, I was the first black there. Mm -hmm. And uh, even my son at the time, they're there. Why you don't? Why we don't? The black people here. So again, I brought Graylon Williams on the job. We, they didn't have any blacks at all. So yeah. I had a, a little time with, the, as I mentioned, people thought they didn't want to work for me because they thought I had I was going been promoted because of the secret suit. And uh, they were saying the word was I had been on the job six years, been on the job fifteen years. They didn't know me. You know, yeah. but but yeah. the person, the people who picked me for that job knew what my background and knew what I did, and that's why they supported me. And right. uh, so, I, I, you know, in this job, you really, if you're black, you really can't, uh, you can't hide your, you can't hide what you've done. Yeah, you know, no, you're right. You, you, you can't. Go, you know, you can't. Now nah, there are other people who can. Cause they ride the coattails and get on the on the wings and the and the and the foot uh, foot lopes of uh, those who, who crack. Now, I stand also on the backs of all those that went before me. I mean, you look at the Art Lewises, you look at the Clarence Cooks, you look at uh, Carl Jackson, John Wilder, and, and even all my supervisors, John Peoples and. Uh, People that I work with, like Ernie Howard. Cal Campbell. Cal Campbell, or especially Cal Campbell. I mean, he's a co-founder of NAP, and we all work together. Yeah. Um, you know, the Lou Rices and uh, all those kinds of people, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you just mentioned Cal, and that was one of my next questions. Who would probably have the most influence on you uh, in your entire time? And I know it's probably many, but... I. Just kind of looking for one name, and somehow I was hoping you would say Cal. So I just said it for you because he he's, <laughs> he was one for me. But it could be somebody else for you. Well, I, you know, I, you heard me mention the fact that he was uh, mm -hmm. the only person in Miami at the time that we went down. The only people that came down before blacks at that time would have been uh, what was him, and actually. It was real interesting because I think Cameron was a little bit ahead of when I say ahead, a little bit ahead of, uh, of of what we all realized and wanted to do is he was the he was the tech supervisor. Now, can you imagine? You know how you people you go draw out the equipment you want to use and keep yeah. up with all that stuff. And uh, again, uh, we looked at him because. He looked into it. He had he had a real uh, sincere 
stake in this to make sure that we that we um, that we were successful in what we were doing. Okay. Uh, yeah. He knew the ropes. He had been through some things himself, so he knew how to keep us calm, how to stay and just you know do put the work in, do the job, and get the help. I, you know, I, I had never been in policing before before I came on this job. Never had a desire to because all the police experiences I had was I almost didn't graduate from college because of police uh, when I was arrested for demonstrating uh, back in Birmingham, Alabama. The Board of Education said any, any black students that were caught up in demonstrating could not graduate. And I had been accepted, yeah. I had been accepted at uh, Tuskegee. I couldn't go. And part of my acceptance was the fact that I had to graduate from high school. Well, during that spring, uh, things broke out, and, and you know, and King went to jail, and we're talking about 1963. Uh, hey, people who participated, now the Board of Education uh, reversed its uh, decision, but we were only edge there, you know, I never went to a school prom because they closed the schools down. Uh, and if I had not graduated, if I hadn't gotten my the high school diploma, I could not have continued on my education until I found. So you was you was arrested in which city for what which demonstration? In Birmingham, Alabama, in 1963, for at uh, boycott, march, and stuff. Because uh, uh, my mother taught school in the Birmingham in, in the uh, Alabama system. We lived in Birmingham, and she taught uh, school at Fairfield. Uh, so I actually finished high school in Birmingham in a school that doesn't even exist anymore, Elmwood High School. And uh, Eugene Bull Connor was uh, police commissioner, and I mean, you know, that was 1963. So you was out there when they was putting the water holes on yeah. and all that. You was yeah, out there. Exactly. Dude, that's a lot of history, boy. You you, you have covered a lot of history. You you ain't just talking about what some somebody said. You talking about what you know. You talking about what you saw, absolutely. experienced. Absolutely, and even uh, you know, I told people. You know, John Lewis is only about six years older than I am, but uh, I remember I was in college when uh, you know in in, in nineteen sixty five when we crossed that they crossed the bridge for the first time. Uh, they couldn't cross it, you know, because they got beat down. But uh, it's the three weeks later when they did uh, come. Um, our schools in Tuskegee and Montgomery and other some other colleges around met uh, the Selma marches about 20 miles outside of Montgomery, and we marched 20 miles back into Montgomery and spent the night on St. Jude uh, campus. Uh, on their lines and uh, uh, Peter Paul and Mary performed and some other groups and yeah they had the little called the little bonfires I mean yeah hot dogs hamburgers all those kind of stuff but uh, we were also taught the guys or the, or the males you know we put on two or three pair of pants if you can get them on long sleeve shirts and other stuff so that you can. Uh, and we were walking mostly to the outside, keeping them into the inside because you know the the police forces and the, uh, hitting the sticks and stuff like that. You put clothes on to kind of help protect them. You know, you know one layer is not going to do it, 
but we were taught all of that kind of stuff. And 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 John Lewis talked to that crowd to let people know, hey, you're gonna run into some things that you can't, you know, you you you, you can't you can't fight back. You know, it's a nonviolent model. Yeah. But so those are the things that back in those days, and you look at those sixties, man, some turbulent years, and mm-hmm. and uh, it appears that. A lot of this stuff now is still underlying what we are in today, you know. Yeah, it just doesn't yeah. go away. It may seem like it kind of subsides a little bit, but it's on the surface. Right. So you 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 brought up two arrests right now. Was there uh, another time in your DEA career that that uh, right. you may have uh, got arrested again? Yeah, I I, uh, I, I, I kind of failed to mention it this time. Yeah. I did. I actually, I had just come out of uh, uh, basically training. I was in Atlanta, and uh, it was a known fact because the, uh, the SAIC at that time, or Field Pair, and them, they would tell you, or or uh, Big Bly or somebody, they'll tell you, "Hey, look, you go outside Atlanta here. You can't go up to Forsyth County." And that was when the new agent coming back on, and that was, and we were just there temporarily, even coming in to work till we got to our new assignments, right? Mm-hmm. And so he let you know, don't go too far, don't venture too far out without telling people where you're going. And so because anyway, it wasn't like you had cell phones then, you know. No, we didn't have cell phones. No, we didn't have cell phones. Right. Pay phones are what you probably pay phones, pay phones. Yeah, pay phones. I don't mm-hmm. even think we had beepers back in those days at that time. Yeah. Because uh, you're talking about 69 and 70. And so he, um, but they they mentioned, you know, be careful and all that. But anyway, I went over to the uh, Fulton County Jail. Yeah. And to. Were you by yourself? Yeah, because I was just going to interview somebody. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm learning this, I mean, you know, this is the case. I'm just going on, you know, so I can talk and see if we can get some information. And uh, got over there, showed my credentials. And, uh, you know, you take your weapon off, you put it in the locker before they let you in behind the cells and stuff, you know. And uh, sure enough, I got ready to come out. And people uh, told me, uh, who am I? And so they, I had to call, I had to get them on the call to the office and tell them who I was. They had to speak, give them the number, they called. And, and actually, uh, Phil sent somebody over to the jail to make sure that I got out of there. And that was right there in the city of Atlanta. So they weren't going to let you out of jail. They didn't let you in. They already let you in. But, but obviously, somebody looked at your credentials and may have recognized you were. Or, 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 well, or, they, or they didn't believe it. They couldn't yeah, believe they it. Believe you. That's what it was. And then somebody else came and... Now that you got to prove to them who you are, you bet, yes, you got your, your badge and credentials right there to show it to them. They still won't believe you. Yeah. So, so how long did they keep you over there in the jail? Well, and they didn't tell me, that, you know, they, they, they didn't tell me until I got ready to go, you know, that, hey, uh, well, who, who are you? Uh, where do you get these from? And, you know, it's like maybe I had made them or something, you know? And where so, you get these, brother? Yeah. And uh, so I had to give them a number to call them. They just didn't, they didn't believe me. Never believed me. Sound like if they didn't believe you, they should have done it before you went into jail. But, <laughs> well, well, exactly. You know, I'm saying this is crazy, you know. 
uh, well, I guess they figured that since I had given up the gun, they knew I put a gun in the lock. They figured that I, I couldn't have been dangerous at that point, right? Yeah, we got you now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yep, uh, yep, yep, yep. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Gerald, so is there anything else uh, that you would like to share with us that we need to make sure we get out there? Uh, because I know once we get off, it'd be like, man, you, you got a lot. You know, you got a lot, Chef. Well, I, well I, you know, first of all, I, I, you know, we have some people that uh, we know this is not an easy job. Yes. Uh, and, and we know for those, it, it's kind of, it's kind of unfortunate right now because uh, there are a lot of maybe a lot of young people that come on the job now that have been involved in integration uh, and they think that everything is supposed to be kosher for them and they can do this and they can do that. But some of these places, uh, there are some deep, dark secrets and tones that they don't know about and they have to be able to be careful. Um, and if they don't hear this kind of stuff from people like who's had these experiences, sometimes it can be very, very devastating. And I, and I'm taking a look at this from this pandemic. I mean, we had this pandemic of racism ever since this country been in existence. Yeah. But the other part of that is, uh, I can look at this as being uh, people who are not aware of, of what's really going on and what has happened, but don't know the history, it can be uh, very devastating to them. And hopefully when they hear things and hear other people's stories and hear about their successes, uh, it will give them the courage to continue to move forward um, and to think about, hey, there are other people who have already been through that uh, if they go through it, I can go through it, uh, because this it can it can drive somebody crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It can cause them to change their mind about um, what the decisions that they make. Um, right. And, and really, DEA is not a bad organization. Uh, sometimes they just have bad people. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. when you look at what it's supposed to do, it's, mm -hmm. it's supposed to be uh, like all the organizations are supposed to be good. But we know that like guns don't kill people, people kill people, you know? Yeah. And uh, people can kill people's lives, even in careers. And some people wind up uh, in mental conditions because of certain things that happen to them. And you yeah. have to have a way to fight those monsters all have a support system have somebody to talk to uh somebody who understands and can walk through them with that and and, and and that's why uh napna was supposed to be there for those you know it's not just yeah. for me when i was there it's it's for us to continue to help those who come behind exactly exactly Woo -wee. man it's it's it's, it's. What you just said today is 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 it's like a history book. Um, it's, it's like a, a history book, and so I appreciate you being here. I appreciate knowing you. I appreciate you uh, 
being a part of DEA. Uh, I appreciate that. Just the history that you shared, quite frankly, you have covered a lot of a lot of is issues uh, as a DEA agent. Although you you were a DEA agent, you ended up you you left DEA and you went on in the private sector and you came back to the government. You have had a, in my opinion, a a, a very star-studded career. So again, I appreciate. Uh, well, I, I appreciate this, and you know, I, I keep my, uh, you know, a lot of people who leave uh, their career don't kind of stay tuned to things that go on on a daily basis or weekly, or leave some kind of touch with people. But I, I have a, I have a son on the job, and okay. so I'm, I'm here for him as well to try to give him some highlights to make sure that he keeps his head on, and he's going to run into some things that he's never seen before. And uh, so, and, and that's for any young person that's on the job. I've always told people, hey, they can contact me. Not necessarily, uh, you can get my opinion. You don't have to do what I say, but just give you another uh, way of thinking or yeah. something else to think about in your decision making. And, and just use the experience. Take, yeah. you know, and not only me, there are many of us. I mean, even you, you're out uh, now. And I'm sure that the experiences that you've had, the people yeah. that you talk to, uh, even in kids, you know, we have a, a, a very, we have a recruiting uh, bulletin out there right now. I'm not sure if you know about that. Yes, yeah, I do. And it's open yeah. from, you know, for the rest of the year here. And we're trying to get uh, people involved, people of color involved, men and women. Uh, I've contacted my old colleges there. I've sent stuff back to the president, and I've had some contacts with uh, the counselors as well as the program chairman for the criminal justice department over there, which we didn't have when I was in school. You know, we right. had uh, so so. I'm trying to get the word out, and I've made myself available to anybody who wants to talk to me, and I'm gonna probably participate in some of their career day stuff. Um, yeah to let them know uh, we, we're going to have a, a little bit of an uphill battle about all the things that's going on right now and some of the situations we see with uh, 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 police abuse and misuse and, and those kinds of things. And people say, why do I want to come into an organization like that? Um, and we need people. We need to get them in there. And if, if you go to people of color, you're not going to get them unless they see people look like them, you know? Yeah. So yeah. whatever we can do to spark their interest, because we can't make those changes from the outside. we got to try to get people in there to help make these changes for us. And we have to support them once we get them in there. Yeah. We have to support That's them. That's true. That's true. But I appreciate this opportunity, uh, Abe, and uh, it's good to hook up again, you know? Yeah. Wish you good luck in your career, in, in your other career here now and, and yeah. uh, have success yes. and fun with it and uh, you know the only thing we got to do is mitigate and, and stay strong and healthy and and uh, hopefully that we can draw a retirement for as long as the number of years we put in at least that's the minimum yeah yeah before we that's call true it even, before we call it even <laughs> right and I always say uh, one of my last word is uh, for those that's out there uh, particularly uh, agents like DEA agents, sometimes the only thing you can do is to stay positive. 
Exactly. It's so easily to go negative and go all everything. Even when the storm is there, you just try to keep your head down and stay positive. Uh, it'll work out for you. I swear I see it. So Absolutely. here we go. All Appreciate right, well, it, happy, Gerald. Happy Easter. Thank you. Happy Easter. And, uh, and uh, yeah. have a great thing. Thank you. Please share this podcast. Subscribe. And uh, and we're going to see you next week. The Gladiator signing off. The Gladiator.